Hello. This is a different start to this podcast. Although Resiliency Reimagined releases on the first of every month, our podcast is generally recorded earlier. This podcast was recorded in early March, and therefore there is no mention of the shootings both at Denver East High School and Covenant Academy. If you're impacted by either of these instances of violence, I'd encourage you to look into resources both described in the rest of the episode and those that are available from the National Mass Violence Victimization Resource Center. Their website is nmvvrc.org. I believe the following conversation with Heather Martin is as important as ever. Resiliency Reimagined is a podcast in partnership with the Center for Strength, a resiliency center working with individuals impacted by the shooting which occurred at STEM school in May of 2019. Our podcast explores the resiliency of people and families impacted by trauma and ways in which helpers can impact these communities. Our guest today is Heather Martin. Heather is the executive director of the Rebels Project, has partnered with the Center for Strength, and is an advocate and ally for survivors of gun violence everywhere. Heather, thank you for being here, and I'll let you introduce yourself and describe your connection to mass violence. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's an honor to share anything that I can that might help anyone who is feeling alone or isolated. I was a senior the year of the shootings at Columbine High School, and I graduated a month later. My 18th birthday was two days after the shooting. Um, So I moved out just because that's what you do at 18. Tried to go off to college and just struggled a lot through college. I felt alone. Nobody got it. I simultaneously wanted to like scream at the top of my lungs so that everybody knew that I was there. But I also didn't want to tell anybody that I was there because of the questions. Um, Very early on in my journey, I started judging myself for my recovery and like that my experience wasn't bad enough to warrant the nightmares that I was having or, um, so that, I mean, that started probably within a month. I I was really having a hard time with that and it just grew and grew and grew and grew. The more time passed, the more I didn't get help, the more I didn't connect with others, it just got worse and worse. Um, I minimized my trauma for a long time and eventually dropped out of college, went into the restaurant business where I worked for 10 years or 13 years with the same company. Um, But it was at the 10 year mark after the shooting at Columbine when I went back to the school finally because I was a senior that year. So we didn't go back to the school. Um, It was a very large crime scene. So we went to Chatfield High School. Um, I was really nervous to go back into the school, but it turns out that it was one of the best things I could have done for myself. Okay. And I finally got to reconnect with people who got it and were also struggling. And being back in that space, I obviously remembered the day, April 20th, I remembered the things that happened there. Mm-hmm. But what I also remembered was all the good times that I had in high school that had been overshadowed yeah. by that day. Yep. So that just really put me on a new trajectory. I went back to school, um, got my teaching license. I teach high school English. 
I'm a 12th grade English teacher and the yearbook advisor, and I've been teaching now at the same school for 10 years in Aurora, Colorado. Okay. Thank you for um, giving that overview, and we'll... Um, yeah, break down a, a, a lot of what you just shared there. Um, you did mention you're a, a high school English teacher. What would you say is your favorite book right now? My favorite book right now. Um, I am currently loving, well, I just finished it. It's called Babel, The Necessity of Violence, I think. Okay. Um, and it's kind of a twist on historical fiction um, about essentially the power of language to change the okay. world like that language is kind of like magic um, and we can use it to change change the world okay what um, about um, and it sounds like that book might be impactful but a book that you would identify as like this is a book that um, was impactful for me or I see it being impactful for other people um, I know you didn't know that you were going to get a quiz on <laughs> no, what I'm reading I'm like oh my goodness I read a lot of young adult literature since I teach high school, that makes so I sense, like to yeah. give recommendations. Um, I also just finished a book called Concrete Rose, which okay. is the prequel to The Hate You Give, Okay. Um, which was pretty incredible insight into just life as like a young black adolescent in America. Yeah. Um, but I don't, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know, I don't read a lot of um, I haven't actually read The Body Keeps the Score. I've yeah. read like little snippets of it, sure. but like books that might be about trauma or recovery or things like that, that's not really my jam. I just kind of <laughs> stick to <laughs> some young adult lit that sometimes is meaningful and sometimes just kind of mush. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And no, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for anything that, you know, necessarily like a, a self-help or anything like that. But, um, um, but yeah, no, those are great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so today we'll be continuing to talk about factors that have helped Heather uh, in your journey over the last several years. Um, but as with all of our guests, how would you define resiliency and how do you see it play out within your life and those around you? I would define resiliency as the ability to bounce back. Okay. And the way resiliency has played out in my life is... Since the shooting at Columbine, if I was activated or triggered, my bounce back time was a long time. Okay. Like sometimes it was weeks, sometimes it was months before I bounced back if I was triggered um, specifically by like another similar event. And now my bounce back time is much shorter. Like for example, sometimes it's minutes when I yeah. can bounce back and be like an active member of whatever's happening in that moment. Totally. Yeah. Um, it, it reminds me of uh, our guest that we had a couple episodes ago. His, uh, his name is Mac, um, partner with the center, and he described resiliency as a rubber band and how that rubber band can kind of change um, in size and tension. But the, it, it's that kind of ability to bounce back exactly as it's you're describing. It's a wonderful metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you notice that your bounce back time has been shorter and changed. Um, you described kind of what your journey looked like over the course of, um, you know, the following 13, I think, years that you said, had said um, after um, the shooting at Columbine. Um, outside of bounce back time, anything else that you would describe as to where you're at now 
and how that's kind of changed as you've continued to grow, learn about yourself, that kind of thing? Well, I mentioned that when we went back into the school at the 10-year mark, I was able to reconnect with people who had been there with me. And at 13 years is when me and another 1999 graduate founded the Rebels Project, named after the Columbine Rebels, Mm -hmm. where we really, at the time, it was like, what do you think about having support groups for people who have survived mass shootings? Um, And it was just a couple days after the shooting at the Aurora Theater. Um, And... So being able to reconnect with people who got it and who understood, and most importantly for me personally, was people not judging my journey. I felt like so many people who had not experienced what I did were judging me for, you know, still having nightmares or struggling Mm -hmm. as much as I was. Because I wasn't in the library where a lot of, most of the shooting took place. I was in a choir office, just sort of catty corner to that. Yeah. And so the questions that I got that, like my answers seemed like maybe they were a letdown for the people who were asking it. And keep in mind that I'm like, you know, an 18 year old, like traumatized kid. So whether or not this is real or imagined in my head, like, I don't know. But, you know, they're like, oh, where were you? And I'm like, oh, I was in the choir office. And if I wasn't in the library, you could kind of visibly see their body like, oh, that's not... That's sure. interesting. Or like, oh, did you know anyone who died? And I'm like, not that well. Like, yeah. I knew one of the perpetrators like, and the teacher. So yeah. that was kind of, it seemed like my story wasn't enough to warrant the trauma that I felt like I had gone through. Sure. Um, so being able to connect with other people who got it and didn't judge me really just changed the trajectory of my he- healing, which in turn was the ba- is the basis for the rebels project like that yeah. way we can connect with each other and nobody's judging another person's story where they were geographically during the shooting it took me 10 years to really call myself a survivor and own that title in my heart yeah yeah so it was either your perception of the uh, way that other people were were responding to to you um, sharing your story or the actual perception of other people highlighting the importance of both um, peer led uh, support groups and that kind of thing like rebels project and also that kind of growth it, it sounds like that you've made related to like self-judgment and acknowledging trauma symptoms and that kind of thing I think. Well, there's there's a lot of like mile markers, as I call sure. them, in my recovery. And one of them was going back to the school yeah. at 10 years. Another one, starting the Rebels Project at 13 years. Um, a really big moment for me was also having my trauma validated by someone that I thought had suffered more than me. Yeah, And this is by no means like anyone's job to do this. It's not anyone's job to validate anyone else's trauma, but... Um, I was on a panel in Newtown, and we flew out there. It was like a year and a half-ish after the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary. And I was on a panel with um, a family who had lost their daughter in the Virginia Tech shooting. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about Rima and saying that she was in a better place and she's up and whatever. And Mona, the, the wife, turned to me and she was just like, you're the hero, like you're the one who still has to live through this every day. And I still get choked up just thinking about it because it was just so, like I said, it's not anyone's job to validate trauma, but that really helped me to know that people that I thought had 
suffered more than me were still thinking about what I had been through or something yeah, like that. <laughs> absolutely. And being able to, to hear that from somebody who had had a similar experience made it that much more impactful for you. It really, like I said, it just helped me to own some of the feelings that I was ha- having, um, knowing that my struggles were understandable given what I had been through and that I was surviving. Yeah. I was living my life. Absolutely. Um, so the, the Rebels Project, there, there's the idea that you had described of like, is my trauma or is the impact big enough to for me to be a survivor, a person that needs support or can get support and that kind of thing. So who would you say the Rebels Project supports? The people who join our group are typically people who need support in the aftermath. For example, we get a lot of requests from people who say things like, I don't know if I belong, but, yeah. and then they'll kind of tell their story. And I'm like, yes, you do. You do belong. There's someone who were shooting a curtain, they were in like the building next door waiting on lockdown. And they wanted to be very clear with me before I, they joined the group of like, hey, I'm not a real survivor because I wasn't, you know, there. And I'm like, oh my God. Like it breaks my heart a little bit to hear people say that because I was there. I, I was there saying like, I'm not a real survivor. I don't deserve this title or whatever. So, um, we have a lot of parents who are yeah. looking for support for their kids. They want to support their kids in the best way that they know how. And to us, it's this space where they can ask those questions. Sure. And they're going to get a multitude of answers because there is no one way. What works for one person doesn't work for another person. So when they comment on a thread or they post, and then there's you know 37 different comments of ways that you know, oh, my parents did this and this really helped me. My parents did this. Like then there's things that they can try because they know their kids, yeah. you know, better than anyone. Yep. So they can kind of pick and choose from all of these options. Definitely. And so you've talked about there being a thread. And so the Rebels Project spans more than just uh, like kind of peer support groups. There's also like online support. Can you just kind of describe the the different ways that folks who are within this group are able to support one another? The first thing that we started was the online private group. Um, and that's a place where people can connect at any time. And we also hold monthly support meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, they are both virtual and in person. We're housed in Colorado, so that's where like our in-person ones are, yeah. unless we travel to an impacted community. Um, we also offer um, scholarships to an annual survivor retreat where okay. we basically fly as many people out to Colorado as we can to be together for a weekend of healing. It's all survivor-led. Um, we're all volunteers. We all have like our paying jobs, if yeah. you will. Um, we have book clubs. We have a pen pal program where we connect people directly with someone who has a very similar story or, you know, parents with other parents, things like that. Um, we have offered scholarships for professional therapy in the past, trying to get people in touch with the appropriate therapist. Um, a question that gets asked a lot on our group is, you know, what kind of therapies have you tried and what yeah. works? And I think it's really important to find a therapist that you connect with, but also keep in mind that 
being trauma informed is different than trauma trained. Okay. And when you're looking for therapists, consider looking at someone who is trauma trained instead of trauma, not instead of, in addition to trauma sure. informed. I, to be trauma trained, I would imagine you, well, I know that you would have to be trauma informed. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and, and so being able to ask that question, what kind of therapist should I look for? Being able to uh, probably have folks uh, validate different um, reactions or responses or like, wow, I was really surprised I reacted this way. Um, all of these things, it, it just seems like the ability to ask other people who have kind of been through it or are going through it um, would be very impactful for a person who is looking for support, feeling kind of isolated or any of those things. Yeah, it's incredibly important and helpful and useful and just a wealth of knowledge that sometimes I think is not viewed on like this hierarchy as like as valuable as sometimes like data or surveys or things like that that are used to help sure. inform other responses. But, you know, these are questions that are, I mean, they're things you wouldn't think of. It's just like, hey, I just started dating people. When do I tell them? Like, yeah. I mean, it's just stuff that you wouldn't think about that you can ask other people that get it and that have been through it and have done it. And I would imagine that would have been very impactful for kind of going back to that 18-year-old you who's trying to figure out what it's going to look like for me to kind of transition into this next phase of my life. That is exactly why we started the Rebels Project, because that was the resource that we needed yeah. after the shooting. And we did have people come out and visit us um, from other shootings, because Columbine wasn't the first. Like People tend to be like, oh, this is like this big. And, and it was big, and it was tragic. And there's shootings that happened before that. Yeah. So there were people that came out and tried to help us. Um, we kind of tend to like... It's one of the lessons that we learned as the Rebels Project is that in the immediate aftermath, the community is, they don't really want you there. <laughs> um, yeah. You're kind of intruding on their grief. And so yeah. we we usually don't do any kind of immediate outreach. Um, we'll you know, share our contact information with leadership in the communities, things like that. But you know, we're not the people that are gonna show up on the doorstep like, hi, we're here to help. Yeah. Can you let us help? Like yeah. that's not what we wanted. Um, and so we typically wait until we're invited into the community. I yeah. talked about Sandy Hook earlier, like we were invited to go out there. Um, when I went out to Stoneman Douglas, we were invited to go out there. Like we're not just gonna show up there. Disa just disaster response in general, it's we like go and provide support when you're asked versus that show up at your doorstep. Right. That's, yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and you kind of touched on this next point that I wanted to talk about, but like following a tragedy, we see that kind of short term community coming together and that kind of thing where, um, and, and it's very important. And then after that, we notice or the trend I think that's there is that support kind of dies down. And then I think that can be a space or, or maybe you've seen that be that space where Rebels Project steps in and then that support is, is again there for folks who are experiencing it. Yeah, we're there for the long haul. We kind yeah. of say like, we're there after the cameras go away. Yep. Because everybody in the world is there in the immediate aftermath. And I also don't have like a set definition for immediate aftermath, but I would say like three months to a year. Sure. Um, is where, like that's when the funding starts to run out or people just kind of go, go on with their lives. But a lot of survivors, they don't go on. Like they need the help then and they need it long after that. I have Columbine friends and survivors who are reaching out to me now 
for help, and that's 24 years later. Yeah, yeah. Um, why do you think for you giving back and being a part of this has been helpful in you kind of cultivating resiliency, recovering, kind of moving forward? One of the most immediate ways that it helped me was putting me in a position where I had to reflect on my experience and I had to remember what helped and what didn't help. Yeah. And because I was so desperate to help other people that I did a lot of like self research, self reflecting, looking back on things. Um, and it was tough. And we learned then, you know, when we started the rebels project 13 years later, that there were Columbine people who were struggling. And so yeah, I had to really just look back and, and remember, which wasn't, you know, like a party. It wasn't great yeah. to remember some of those things. But I did finally have people to talk to about it, who got it, who could help me fill in those blanks. Um, I So I sought professional therapy a year after the shooting because I was in college and I started using recreational drugs. I started like ditching class and it was just not me. Those, those are not things that I did before that. And I was also completely in denial that it had anything to do with the shooting. I was like, well, it's been a year. I'm probably just doing the college thing and this is what you do in college and whatnot. But I also was just like, maybe I should talk to someone. So I told my parents and, you know, we were lucky that we could afford a therapist. Um, And that was my first experience with therapy of like, this one, she was a lovely woman. Um, (laughs) I think that it was like, my parents were like, oh, well, so-and-so's wife is a therapist. How about if you go see Joanne or whatever? And I was like, okay. So I'm talking to my therapist who just is not prepared, not prepared for the amount of trauma that I was dealing with. she was helpful at, at the time in that I I think she validated that it, it was okay that I was traumatized. It probably had something to do with the shooting. Um, but I think she started, I got the impression that she was judging me for my drug use when she was like, I'm going to have to tell your parents if you keep using drugs. And I'm like, first of all, I'm 18. Like, yeah. you can't do that. Like, I don't, like I said, I, I, she just wasn't trained to deal with that kind of that kind of thing. Um, so as the years passed, like I said, 13 years later, we start the Rebels Project. I'm doing a lot of self-reflection, making sure that I can do my best to just be honest and vulnerable with other people. Yeah. And the 20-year mark, the Rebels Project was really involved in the planning of the events. And obviously, there's a lot of care going in there. And I, yeah, following the 20-year mark, I kind of fell off another cliff where I've sought therapy again. Sure. Um, and I found someone who was trauma trained. I started EMDR. Um, I started brain spotting and it just, again, changed the trajectory of my healing. It was yeah. incredible to yep. know like that that stuff was still there 20 years later and I'm still working through it and that's okay. And it's really sort of expected. So I go back still for checkups, especially the month of April. Yeah. Um, April's kind of always a mess. Yes. And I don't know why it surprises me that it's still a mess because I know that it is, but yeah. I am still like, why am I so mad? And my husband will be like, it's that time of year. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it gets better, but it's always kind of there. So 
the the fact that April continues to be a, a challenging time is something that that has been kind of a, a surprise and and something that that continues to kind of come up up for you. Um, what else would you say is, has been surprising or um, unexpected related to recovery or continuing to um, um, yeah just life after? Um, I don't know if I would say surprising because it. Nothing at this point really surprises me, I guess. Okay. Um, but it is interesting to me that that's where that idea of resiliency comes out because I will be more susceptible. Um, like my bounce back time might be a little bit longer yeah. in the month of April. Um, I just recently went to a baby shower and I have never, like the sound of balloons popping is never great, but like, I mean, whatever. Like I said, yeah. I can, I've worked through it, we're good but a balloon popped and then another one. And then by the third balloon pop, cause there were like kids at the baby shower that were playing with balloons. By the third one, I started crying and I was like, whoa, yeah, what? Like, and this is literally like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so it was, I, I guess that was surprising, but not surprising just knowing what I know about recovery, that that will happen. And I'm not down on myself. I don't feel like, oh my God, I'm still dealing with this. Like that's yeah. just part of it and that's okay. I found it really important, well, really meaningful for me that eventually I sort of digested and really fully understood that I will never be the same person that I was before April 20th in yeah. 1999. Like, there is no way I could be. There's no way I could be. There's no way I think anyone could be after experiencing a similar event or kind of any event in your life. Like, they all impact who you are and your identity. Um, yeah. I'm an English teacher. I write the, you know, those college essays. What meaningful experience impacted your identity? But yeah. you, I, I don't say you because it just sounds like so accusatory, but you'll never be the same person that you were before. Sure. And loved ones and friends and family and all of that, like, that I don't know what that's like because I was in it, but you know, hearing from my family and hearing from other families, like that's really hard to accept. Sure. And it's really hard to know that your loved one or your friend, they are a different person now. Like essentially they're still the same person. Like they're, you know, at their core, they're the same person, but they are forever changed. Yeah. So they might respond differently to different stimulus and they might, um, uh, react in a different way. Um, and to expect that not to happen, I think that would probably be a challenge for the person that, that was kind of in the space. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about my friend Sherry who, you know, loved going out, was very social going to clubs and she survived the Washington Navy yard shooting. And for months she wasn't going out again. And her friends like didn't understand that. Like, oh, you're not the same Sherry. Of course she's not the same Sherry. Yeah. Like, I am 40, I'll be 40 something coming up <laughs> here. And like, I don't like going to the grocery store by myself. Y'all, sure. like that's, I can laugh about it. And like, I feel a little bit of embarrassment and shame about it, but also I'm pretty accepting of it. I'm like, yeah, I don't like going to the grocery store. It gives me anxiety, it freaks me out. Like I can do it if I have to, I'm not yeah. like, but if I can avoid it, heck yeah, I'm gonna avoid it. Like. But that's me now, and that's fine. Like, my husband doesn't love that part. Sure. <laughs> He's got to take that on, but whatever, you know? So what, what I have heard um, sometimes in the, in the work that I've done with families is parents expecting 
um, uh, a family member to just kind of, or, or a friend to just not respond when they hear that balloon pop or something like that. Or, or when they respond to that balloon pop, it's sort of like, oh my gosh, that progress that they've made or, or, um, they're, they're going, they're going backwards or they're not making the progress that we thought they made. They're not working through it. They need to continue to reprocess this or whatever. I I guess, what would you say to, to that idea? I I mean, maybe they need to reprocess some stuff. I don't know if it's like a repeat in general though. Like it's something that they might have to process several times. And as I mentioned, I mean, I'm 24 years out and a balloon popped and it brought tears to my eyes, which was a little bit surprising for me, but also just part of part of it. Like that hasn't happened in years and years and years, but it's not a setback. I'm not back to square one. Like I'm at square, like, I don't know how many days I teach English, not math. I can't do anything. You know, I'm on day like 10,432 now. That'd be cool if it was the right number. I know. (laughs) Somebody do it. It's a math genius. No idea. (laughs) Um, so it's not a it's not a fallback. It might be temporary or whatever, but that is also just literally to be expected. Yeah. Like that like I cried 24 years later when a balloon popped in a small space. Like that is okay. Like it yeah. doesn't happen every time a balloon pops, but it happened that time. Yeah. Um it when I'm at the school teaching and somebody like slams a locker, sometimes I don't notice it. Sometimes in April, I'm a little bit more sensitive to it. And, but I also teach seniors, so they know my story. And yeah. I'm very like transparent about, you know, my vulnerabilities are like, guys, please don't pop things in the classroom. I sure. love it. And they're sweet angels. So, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> kind of trailing off, but essentially all that to say, like, it's not a step back. It's not falling back. It's to be expected. I think that different years, different months whatever you you are going to have some different reactions yeah you can always go back and have another session of therapy do some meditation connect with somebody else who has that and just know that it's as normal as it can be given what we've experienced so something that years a a year x amount of years later comes up and, and you get um activated after that happens uh might be like a clue that, oh, maybe there is some more work that I have to do related to this, but also isn't this idea that we're back to that square one. It's just kind of part of the, the recovery process. Use your supports, use those tools and that kind of thing. But it's not just some like huge regression where we're all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, I don't think so at all. Like, I mean, there have been different years when I've struggled more than other years. And it, I think it depends on a lot of different factors that are happening in the world in that moment. Um, but you're never really probably back to that square one. Like you had to have made some progress. Yeah. Um, And, you know, for survivors, just knowing that you're, you're not failing at recovery. (laughs) Like you're not, it's none of those things. It's just kind of how it is sometimes. And Mm -hmm. there's going to be good years and bad years and good months and bad months and really great months and really crappy months. Like that's, you know, human experience. Yeah. And it's just not this like linear process from that like square one to we're only making forward progress. There's just just as in life, there's just different adversities and different things that are kind of coming up. I was reading some research and I can't remember why I was reading this research, but about how like children's scribbles that are like kind of all over the page 
um, they learn like actually mean something like these scribbles. And I keep thinking that recovery is not linear. It's not one line. It's scribbles. Yeah. And all of those scribbles are meaningful to you and your journey. That was a beautiful metaphor. Is that correct? <laughs> I, I guess it's a, I, maybe a metaphor, an analogy. Analogy might be what I'm looking for. What I've what I've heard in in the therapeutic work that I've done, and what I've um, heard in in talking to survivors, is kind of the um, importance or impact of um, what you would, what you just said. The ability to kind of recognize that these are things that I'm going to continue to deal with, and like kind of honoring those ideas of like, yep, I, I don't need to like continue to just like push through this. I can kind of honor the 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 fact that. Yep, I started crying, and I'm gonna continue to be able to move forward. Versus thinking of that like self judgment that you described. What kind of helped you get to that space where you are able to reframe? I'm guessing time did, but outside of that, um, where you're able to kind of reframe that and think about these things a little bit different. Time to learn those things and yeah. experience them. Like time doesn't heal all wounds, but time gives you the time to experience those things. So you experience them. Ooh, that was good. <laughs> you experience them more the more time passes. So you're able to recognize patterns. Yeah. And so yes, time. And also truly for me, it was therapy. Yeah. Um, I finally just, I don't want to say like bit the bullet, but I was like, no, I, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Cause I thought I was kind of one of those people who was too in my head for therapy to be helpful yeah. or, you know, like, Oh, it's probably just the 20 year mark. Like it probably isn't still the stuff. It's just like what's happening in my life right now. Um, but now I'm just like, Holy cow. That is, you know, it helped me learn a lot about how I am resilient and mm -hmm. how I can reframe those things in my head of, yeah, this, I don't view it as a setback. It's just a thing that happens. So it's that idea of the new normal, which yeah. cracks me up to think about because I was talking to my Aurora Theater survivors and they're like, I hated it when people kept saying the new normal, the new yeah. normal, the new normal. But remember, I was like just drifting away for 10 years, like had no contact with other Columbine people or whatever. And so when I came back and somebody finally said the new normal, like my mind was blown. I was just like, that literally is what it is. Yeah. So that new normal for me is like, I, yeah, there are gonna be sometimes that a balloon popping won't really affect me in that same way, but it's coming up on April. And, you know, I work in a school, so we experience lockdowns yeah. and secure perimeters. And, you know, last year we had a shooting at my school where six kids were shot. And, yeah. you know, so that stuff comes up and we have suicides and we have gun violence in the community. And therapy has really just helped me be able to process that in a healthier way than, you know, I did after the shooting of, yeah. you know, dabbling in drugs and, I developed an eating disorder and had to work through that. And yeah, but again, that idea of time, like I can recognize those things now when I'm struggling and I start to think about, oh, maybe I, I haven't eaten yet today, but maybe I can go two days. Like when I start having those feelings or those thoughts in my brain, like, okay, you need to make an appointment for sure. therapy. Yep. Like, 
And what would you share with somebody who is, you know, a year out, five years out, 10 years out, whatever, that has that idea of like, I really should be over this by now? I mean, (laughs) I say this with humor, but it's almost just like, what is the appropriate time to be over this? Yeah. Like nobody, you can't answer that question. Like you, some people, it doesn't impact in the same ways that it does other people, Mm -hmm. but trauma is not a competition. It's not about who suffered more or who struggled more. It's all dependent on you and where you are and who you are and what you've been through, you know, before and during and after, like there's a lot of factors, but you know, if you're thinking that you should be over it, chances are you're not and you should seek help. Like if if that's like something that you're like, "Mm, why am I still, it's like, "Uh," that's just something to explore. I think. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what I've heard uh, as a common theme has been the idea of um, rather than, you know, like pushing through or being over it, um, just like, like you described, just recognizing it as this is I've been through trauma. This is how I respond to different things. My responses are different. Honoring those responses in a different way. Um, that's been just very impactful for, for many of the folks that I've talked to. Anything else that you feel like it would be important to kind of highlight or, or talk through? Something that, like a reaction that I had that I guess I wouldn't say is surprising knowing what I know now, but when other events occur and they are traumatic, you know, traumatic events similar to whatever I experienced, um, I remember the first one that I remember very clearly was when the shooting at Virginia Tech happened. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, saw some coverage on the news about it and I was okay for a couple days and then just pretty much crashed and just had a lot of um, anxiety attacks things like that but the thing that I did not love about myself after that was that I felt I feel like I should know better words because I'm an English teacher but for lack of a better word I felt sort of jealous that who's going to remember Columbine now who's going to remember what happened to me now And I think that is a normal response after these events that I went out to um, speak with some members of the Pulse community. Uh And coincidentally, it was just a couple months after the shooting happened in Las Vegas at Route 91. And I kind of just shared that same thing where I was like, like, you're not going to be forgotten. Yeah. Like, it's normal to feel like I said, there's got to be a better word and maybe whatever, but like just kind of. Again, it's not jealous. It's just like this idea of like, remember what happened to me and what happened to us? Like, don't yeah. forget us, yeah. you know, even though there's something else happening. Like it doesn't, there is not this either or, you know, there's always and. Like this can be bad and this can be bad. Like I can feel jealous and I can feel horrified for this new community that's joining this club. And I would imagine your conversations with the Pulse community were impactful for them. Like they, they had you to talk with them and, and other folks who have, um, uh, who are experiencing um, gun violence or mass violence are able to um, lean on or hear from other survivors from the Rebels Project 
to normalize those things and to not maybe have, uh, you know, like self-judgment or as much or um, any of those things because because they've talked to somebody that, that has been through an, a, a similar experience. Yeah, it's it. I like that you said normalize. And I know that that is sort of a buzzword that's thrown around. But truly, that is that is that concept of the new normal of like, yes, it is normal to feel that way. Like, it's embarrassing. Sometimes you have a lot of shame associated yeah. with that. And that's part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what we know, and this is a lot of Brene Brown stuff here, but what we know about um, shame is that uh, vulnerability and, and connection is, is what works through that. And just the ability for you to, sh- you to share both, I, I appreciate it here, um, so that if, if somebody's listening that maybe experienced that is able to be like, oh, yeah, I, d- I did feel like that. And that was really hard. And I threw a lot of judgment on myself um, a- as well as to continue to share it with the Rebels Project, I think. And, and for them to hear from other folks in the group, I think that that's, can just be so powerful and impactful for um, uh, just growth and health and all that good stuff. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, so... I always feel uh, honored having any survivor discuss their journey on the show. Anything else you'd like to mention that you're up to right now or um, anything? Yeah. Anything that you'd like to mention? No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I had to really think about it, but I can't, I don't know. I recently read a comment on one of the threads that said, You've struggled before and you've got through it before. Mm-hmm. This is hard right now and you'll get through it. And that just really resonated with me because you know that you you can get through it. Yeah. And it's not getting over it, it's getting through it. And it sucks. And working through it sucks and the time passing sucks. <laughs> like but you can get through it. You've gotten through it before. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um so I'll go ahead and just give an update on some of the activities that the center has upcoming in the month of March. Uh, these include Tammy's Open Art Studio. Um, she continues to find new um, arts that, that both incorporate mindfulness and uh, growth and are fun and cool and sometimes smell good because we use essential oils. It's great. Um, we also, uh, continue to have, uh, Max show up to rank up group, uh, for both high school and middle school students. Um, and I said, uh, March because it's March while we're recording, but I'm, uh, this will be out on April 1st. So these are for the month of April. Um, uh, Mac was on an episode, uh, a few back. I'd encourage you to check that out. Uh, we also have our, uh, two different yoga classes at the center for strength and then, April's Lunch and Learn is with one of our clinicians, Jenny Robbins, and she's going to be discussing anticipatory grief. As always, check out our calendar on our website for up-to-date information on activities within the center. Thanks for listening and being with us. Have a great rest of your day and keep an eye out for our next episode, which should come out on the 1st of May. Please pass along this episode to anyone you believe might benefit from learning more from an impacted person's perspective on recovery after mass violence. And if you have any feedback or questions, please ask ask them on the Center for Strength website under the Media and Resiliency Reimagined tab.